right. Welcome back. Here we are. Here we are. Science in between. It, you know what it is? Yeah. Go ahead. It is. It is episode 37. Yes, it is. And we, my friend, are back in our prime. <laughs> yeah. The, the five listeners we had. They just, just, just shut us off. They're, they they're they done. shut us off. That well, I have done. to tell you that uh, we're 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 on a streak right now. At now hitting thirty seven, we're going to be in our prime for you know every other episode for a bit. So there you go. I feel so, good about that. I feel so, good about that. Yeah. So so you're just going to pre say it this once, and then we won't have to no. hear it. Every oh, time. oh 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 no oh no oh, oh no, no. <laughs> no that's not going to happen, my friend. Great. Awesome. Well, I'm Scott. And I'm Ollie, and this is science in between. Yeah, right. Yes, and so if is. you're if you're with us and you're following along this this journey of these God design, <laughs> yes, <laughs> go out, enjoy the sun, <laughs> do something. <laughs> but you could take us along. Yeah, Listen to yeah. us as you go or for not. that walk. Or yeah. not. You could just go. Yeah, just go. <laughs> I, th- I think they like the uh, self-deprecating humor. Yeah, we, I, yeah. Right. right. Yeah, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's self-deprecating. It's just accurate. It is. <laughs> it can be both. It it's can true. be both. That's true. It is both self-deprecating and accurate. That that'll be this. That that'll be the title of the episode. Sure. Self self-deprecating and accurate. Which I think everyone else would just call that self-aware. Oh, well, you yeah. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good times. Uh-huh. So yeah. So, so what are we talking about, Ollie? What are we talking uh, about this, today? Th- we're going to introduce our our. Th- our third design principle, well, the third in these episodes, I don't think we have them like organized into one, two, three, you know, but this, yeah. the, so, uh, you know, the first, the first design principle we talked about was this uh, idea of scaffolding authentic practice. And the, the one we, we talked about in, in the last episode, 36 was talking about multiple representations and solutions. And so these are ideas that uh, trans, Translate, translate across different uh, learning spaces where we're talking, you know, physical learning spaces or, or online learning spaces. And so uh, the next principle that we wanted to talk about was having a changeable center, which, uh, yeah. Yeah. A changeable center. And so I guess uh, the, the, let's unpack this a little bit because I think the one part of, about this is, you know, what do we mean by a center of a learning space? And, and, well, especially and what... when, just to interrupt for a tiny oh, second. Uh, sure. Uh, d- yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? Um, is uh, especially, you know, that seems really obvious in, to some degree in a physical space, but when we're talking about online or remote spaces. Oh, yeah. So go ahead, carry on. I just wanted to- Yeah, so what, what does it mean to have a center of a, a learning space? And why is it important to have a changeable one? You know, I guess those are those are the two big uh, concepts that we need to uh, address in this episode. And, yeah. And I will say, as we, as we get into this, it may sound like we're, you know, really talking about the same thing over and over, but it really is different. It's really talking about that. I mean, it's all interconnected because yeah. the way we see learning, the way we, you know, uh, understand learning and, and, and development. Uh, but I think that when we look at these from different perspectives, uh, it can kind of give you a better idea of how to create and design learning spaces or repurpose and hack the spaces you're already in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, what we're doing is um, sort of entering the problem from different directions, but ultimately the problem 
and there may be problems or wrong way to frame it, but the thing that we're trying to accomplish uh, is the same. These are just different ways into that, um, into what we're trying to accomplish, right? So, I mean, fundamentally what we're about is transforming classrooms into places that are communities of learning and articulating what that means and how these different principles support that fundamental principle uh, is, is what we're doing here, right? Is trying to figure out like, well, how do all these things support that central goal that we're trying to achieve where we have a responsive and respectful and productive community of learners for, for students. So. I think that's a good entry point is that, that looking at it from a community standpoint, I think that's a Mm -hmm. good entry point for this Um, because when you think about it, community i mean there might be a town center in a community or something if we think about like you know a a city or something Mm -hmm. um but there's there's not necessarily just one voice or Mm -hmm. one i mean there's multiple things going on in a community and that's the the thing that should be happening in our classrooms is there'd be multiple things happening and you know and and not always right it's not always that uh, you know, there are multiple things happening, but it should af- allow that to happen, right? So there right. are times when you as a teacher are going to be standing in front of the classroom and talking, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. But if, but if that's the only place the center is, right? If we say the center is where the activity is happening, right? Mm-hmm. If you're the activity. Focus of attention. The focus of attention, right? If you're the center as the teacher, and the only time it moves or changes position is because you've moved around the classroom, then that's really a limited sense of, of the possibilities about learning. And, right. and really, and it doesn't reflect how we see learning. Yeah. And I think, I think this idea of a changeable center, I mean, I think the, the point you're making uh, is that it's really a conceptual center, not a physical sure. center. So even like the analogy to a town, I mean, it's, it's probably better to think about like a community and we say like, oh, like the community of, um, you know, like people who love a particular band or whatever. Oh, like yeah. they're, you know, they're, those people get together sometimes in one space and, and participate in activity together. And then other times they're sort of dispersed and communicating in, 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 you know, in less, um, you know, specific and, and centered ways where they're, it's sort of decentered, right. But this idea of community as a conceptualization of a group of, of people who are participating in a shared set of activities, right. You know, if we're, if we're getting esoteric and we're talking about Lave and Wenger, we do there's, we, uh, you know, yeah, we, we tend to do that. Right. So there's repertoires of practice, right. There are, I, there are things that, constitute what a community is. And I think that's what we're talking about is, is that not that the center and, and this is something you and I were talking about, you know, before the show, even though that was, you know, in the show, but the, <clears throat> is this idea of like architects, um, physical architects, right. Have co-opted this and said like, okay, well, the way to solve this is like you put a table in the center of the classroom and you don't provide a podium for the faculty member to stand at. And now you've solved your like decentering problem because now they'll stand in the center and it'll be a totally different experience. It's like, well, okay, missed, you know, point missed. Like if that, if that's what you're, you're about is because you can still stand in the center at a table and do a PowerPoint presentation to your class as they're sitting in a certain, you know, it's theater in the round. Right. If if you've ever gone to a a, a conference, right. And this is a perfect example of this, right. So if you've ever gone to a conference conference and 
you were assigned like the you know discussion tables or the round tables, mm, the round right? tables, yeah, right. You know, so you get a round table, and what that's supposed to be is let's 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 talk about our research, let's talk about our research mm. and share it, and then inevitably what happens is somebody brings their laptop right and turns it around and turns it into a didactic presentation, right? It's a presentation, it's not a conversation, yeah. and so even that's a a place where I guess. You know, the hacking happens the opposite way, right? Where these architects are saying, okay, we're going to design this space so that the, 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 the center or we move the center from the front of the classroom. So now it's at the center and we really are trying to design this to have conversations and to create community. If you don't come in as a teacher, if a teacher doesn't come in with the idea of like, okay, what we're going to do is support discourse we can hack it the other way, right? We can hack that and say, all right, I don't believe in this. I'm going to be the stand and deliver person. And now I'm just going to stand and deliver in a more awkward way, right? Just right. like these folks at the round table do. And I'm just like, oh, come on. Can we just talk? Can we just please talk? Because it's, you're sitting around trying to view this little like 11 inch screen with PowerPoints and they're trying to present at the same time. It's, it's awful. It yeah. is like the worst, you know, it's like being banished to like the, you know, the extremities of a conference, right? The land of misfit toys. I know. It's the worst. It is absolutely the worst. And, and it's, it's also bad because it's just, it doesn't afford the kinds of conversations that I think that the roundtables are intended to do. Yeah. And yeah. And that's a perfect example of, of this, right? Right. Is that, you know, even when the architects are, and, and they, they design it that way, but they also co-opted by saying okay well we should be really mindful of the visible sight lines you know like make sure that people can see lots of things but that's only really important if there are like if we're using the space to help people like actually put things up on walls and like you know so that they can share their ideas yeah, right it's only helpful right yeah. or talk to each other if if visible sight if visible sight lines are important it's only because the practice has changed in a way to afford discourse and conversations and sharing ideas and authentic practice and all that stuff. Yeah. All the stuff that we've talked about. And, and I think, yeah, this idea that, um, you know, we, and again, another thing that we've revisit that, that we've mentioned that we're going to revisit is this idea of space as technology, right? So technology yeah. has affordances and constraints, which means that it supports some things better than others. Um, and, and by things in this case, we mean, particular kinds of practice, right? So what, what kinds of things does it afford in the classroom um, and which kinds of things does it constrain? And as Ali's saying, like, it doesn't mean you can't do other things. You can hack around, you can, you can redesign, you can reuse in different ways those spaces, um, but it requires you fighting the system that the space was built to support. Um, so this is why, you know, when you get these decentered classrooms that you know, I think mostly at universities, um, the faculty members complain. They're like, well, this is yeah. just a pain in the neck. Like I have to bring my own laptop. I, there's not a computer in the room for me anymore. I don't have a podium to put my stuff on. I'm like, uh, you know, I don't have a microphone so people can't hear me when I'm, you know, it's like, um, okay. So, so again, you've lost the plot for this superficial change to the physical environment. That's not supported with, a fundamental understanding of why that change is being made, right? The purpose of that change is to um, 
enable certain practices that the old space didn't. But it, but if people don't understand that, then all they do is continue with the same practices they're used to. It's just now a lot more awkward because, because the space isn't designed for that. And so they just are, are, you know, it's like when you go in and you see the science classroom where they bought, you know, movable lab tables and they're just all in rows with, with right. seats behind them. It's like, well, okay. So you've sort of lost the plot here because the yeah. idea is not to put everything in rows with kids seats behind them facing the front. The idea is that kids are in table groups and are talking with each other and that there's some kind of conversation going on here. So. Yeah. And that's the other way that it's, it's co-opted by the architects is that they say, well, we should have lots of movable, yeah, flexible, 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 movable seating. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's only really uh, great if, you know, there's a reason to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and if you, if, if, and we, I keep using you and I don't mean it to be you, like as in you, Scott, one, or you, you one. or you, the listener. Um, but if, if a teacher is only going to move the seats um, to clean, <laughs> right. Or, right. you know, to, you know, oh, I, I need to move them around for X. Right. Um, but it, it should be designed. It should be movable and flexible be, because the practice supports that. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's something that you're doing. They say, okay, we're going to move all these seats to the, in a, another way. Hey, today we're just going to stand because the thing we're going to do today is just going to be that, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, yeah, I, I would say that when, you know, way back when I was teaching physics, I, I had the chance to, to, to meet with uh, the architects to design my classroom. And I was like, look, this is what I want. And they're, they're like, well, why would you want that? And I'm explaining why I'm, I, I wanted the things I wanted in the room, like an exposed I-beam right down the middle of the room, right? Like, which was, you know, something that was really foreign. And they're like, well, why would you want that? And I'm like, well, here's all the things that we could do with that in this classroom, you know, from demonstrations to labs to, you know, all this stuff, right? And, and I was just like, can we just get rid of all of the ceiling tiles in here? Because then I can have access to all the, you know, cause we could support things from the ceiling. We could do all mm-hmm. that. And that was a, like, that was a bridge too far for, for the folks, yeah, right. you know, but I was able to get um, table tables and things that were movable. And this was like, I don't know what, like 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so there were lots of times where I just had all of the tables stacked up in the sides because we were doing some, you know, something on the floor in this mm-hmm. massive space. I had this gigantic classroom and what they originally wanted was this was how the design, um, when they showed me the, the blueprints for these, there, there was going to be a, a lecture room where it was going to be fixed seatings. And then yeah. there was going to be a lab room next door as yeah. if those two things you know, or we're separate, separate activities, separate yeah. activities. And I was like, I'm not going to use the space that way. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, what do you mean? I go, can you tear down this wall? Like, well, nothing was being make it big. big right? Yeah. Make one big space, join these two things together, have some, you know, fixed tables around the outside, have, you know, um, and yeah, they, they were at first pushing back, but thankfully I had built enough. And this is cut comes back to that advocacy concept that we talked about last week is I had built enough, um, confidence with the with the principal and with the administration that there's just like yeah that's that sounds great yeah let's do that and and so they we we completely changed how those those classrooms going to be with the idea that it was uh it wasn't just me talking it was mm-hmm. activity and practice yeah right and I think 
Um, and I think the, the thing that's sometimes hard um, is to translate what we're then talking about into what that looks like in an online space. Because, you know, in a physical space, there's a manifestation of it. You can look around and say, oh, this is that kind of a room. And you can just see, like when you go into a lecture hall, you know where the center is. Like you don't have to be curious about it. But online spaces are much more complicated. And I think maybe worth thinking, pushing a little in, in terms of this idea of community, like, what does it mean? Because what you're really saying, I think with all of this is you're trying to center students ideas, right? Like that, that's what it's about is it shouldn't be about your ideas. um, And it shouldn't be about, frankly, normative science ideas per se. It's about kids ideas. And so, uh, and whatever kids means, like kids can mean university people too, but um, but your students, however you construct that, right? And so, you know, in online spaces, that means you have to create ways that your students see themselves as contributing in significant ways to the structure and organization and, and direction of the course. Um, and, and I think that is a really hard thing in online spaces, especially ones where there's a, a push towards, um, you know, stability and asynchronous. Um, right. like we're going to build this thing and it's just like, it's like, uh, it's like a machine. It just runs, right? Like the student goes in, they do X, Y, and Z. They take a quiz at the end, gives them a score. Like it's just this machine that chugs, right. you, know, you just insert students into it and you crank them through like widgets. And I think this, you know, that's an area with online spaces that really has to be thought more carefully about it's it, yeah i can't tell you as, as somebody who works a lot in online learning the number of calls and emails i've received over the last i don't know six months about okay well what's the best online curriculum that we can purchase because you know they're using x they you know in the mad rush um when the pandemic hit some schools were like okay i'm we're gonna buy you know x curriculum and what they're finding is that it's glorified correspondence courses that people work through independently, asynchronously. And so students, and this is especially true with, with younger students, they, it's an isolating thing where they're, they're the voice, they're not sharing a voice. They're answering questions that are usually, you know, knowledge-based questions. They're not application. And it also is isolating for the teacher because Mm -hmm. what the teacher is the teacher of record is now just a, a, a glorified grader, right? It's like yeah. a T they're a TA. If that, if that yeah. right. I mean, it depends on what the assessments are. Sometimes the assessments are self-grading right. so that, you know, it's like you, the kids are entering things into a system and it just spews out a grade at the end. And, and so th- that is completely in contrast to, to the type of online learning that I would promote, that you would promote, that, you know, our learning principles would promote. Right. And and the I- idea is that it's it's one, it's it's not giving the students a voice in any sorts of discourse. Right. And it's not giving them a place where they can talk about things and share their ideas. And and it's certainly not authentic practice in any way, shape or form. And and so I'm the the the, the thing I keep telling uh, people who reach out to me is you're going to have to build it. You're going to have to build it. And that's the hardest thing to do is that, but they're the, the ones who are probably, while they might not know the technology per se, or the, you know, instructional design stuff, they will have a better sense of their students and the types of activities and things they want to do with their students and how they want to support the learning in, uh, in their schools. 
And, and that's a, it's just a harder ask because the thing that is not, they can't just buy it and pull it off the shelf. Right. right? And the, and the other thing, I, I, yeah, I agree with all that. And I think that's, and, but, and that's similar to physical environments where it's like, well, we'll just buy the textbook and now sure. we've got our curriculum and we're right. sorted out. Um, I mean, I think the analog here that I think is interesting is, you know, when you think about like, what's the analog to flexible space, like movable desks and movable chairs and things like that. I think oftentimes in online environments that, the analog to that is the message board or something right. like it, right? Which mm -hmm. is like, okay, this is the place where students are going to interact. And this is what's going to make it an interactive classroom. And in the same way that movable tables and chairs don't make an, an environment necessarily that students are interacting with each other, a message board does not make an online class into, into um, an, in, an interactional environment. Like how you structure that. And that's only one piece of the puzzle, mm -hmm. right? Because all that really does is you know, again, you get it, you go down this road where, okay, well, uh, the way that I'm going to get the message board to work is I'm going to say every student has to respond to three other people. Yeah. And, and here's the algorithm. And, and if you do that, then you get a better grade. And mm -hmm. so you get this like forced family fun, right? It's like this superficial <laughs> version of like what a, a conversation is supposed to be. So you don't create actual activity, authentic activity where they, where the conversation is a natural outcome of that activity. You force the activity to, you force the conversation to be that. So you say, okay, right. well, we, they have to talk. So I'm going to set up this really draconian structure where they have to say like, okay, okay, I'm going to go in and respond to Ali. So I will read just enough of Ali's post to understand what he's talking about. And then I'll say something that's about what I'm thinking. And then, then, and then I'm done and I'm feeling good about myself. So this, um, like, what do you do with online environments where to center, again, to center students' ideas, not just say that students' ideas are present because mm -hmm. that's just, you know, going back to the physical environment, it's like the IRE conversation. Like, okay, I'm going oh, yeah, to do that. I'm going to do it. Yeah, lots of kids' ideas. It's like, no, no kids' ideas. It's just lots of kids talking in response to your dumb questions. So, um, so really thinking about like, I think while it's hard in physical environments, it's even harder in these online environments. Yeah, so, so I'll throw out some some ideas for that um, Wait, you're, least, you're not going to throw jargon though i thought you were no. going to say jargon okay okay no i was not going to throw jargon at you no, you're going to um, do like flipped or no 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 no, no no nothing like okay. that okay. but like in terms of discussion boards like i think that they're probably the most widely used and most widely misused tools in learning management systems and and there are lots of things people can do to change that. So it's, you're, you're, you're right. It's the post and then respond to two people. And I'll, I'll say I'm guilty of it in some classes, you know, it's, it's, but I will say that it's not the only thing I do, right. It's not the only thing I do. And so how else I do use discussion forums is one, I, I don't always have one large group. You know, if I have a class of like 20 students, you know, there, there are times where I want to have all 20 students talk, but then there's not that many times when I want all students to talk as one. I may want to foster smaller group conversations, right, where I say, okay, and most learning management systems have some grouping structure in it where I could say these five groups are acting independently and they don't even actually see the other groups happening. And then maybe I have that turned on and then I turn it off later so that, that maybe the groups can see each other's conversations. But I also am giving them um, specific prompts to answer that are not like 
necessarily, you know, knowledge-based questions. I want them to, you know, make an argument or I want them to, so a lot of it's crafting the kinds of questions you want them to do, just like it would be in a classroom setting, crafting good conversations. And I always, you know, it's easier for for me because a lot of the classes I, I teach are, you know, involved teachers or preparing teachers. And so I try to always connect what we're talking about to some sort of practice. Like, so it's informing practice or informing the things that we would do with students. And, and so it's a, it's, it's easier when we're doing that because we're not just talking about uh, you know, ideas, but I think I would be able to do it if we're talking about ideas too. Um, and so, and then what I sometimes will do is have those smaller groups reporting out to a larger group. So just like I would in a face-to-face classroom, the pedagogies are different, but they're not necessarily um, completely that they, they, they echo each other, right? I think that's a better way of, 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 of seeing it is that I often think about what the things I do in my face-to-face classroom that is true to what I see about learning and how I can either repurpose it, you know, recreate it, you know, do something like that in my online environments. And so uh, I structured discussion forums a whole lots of different ways. And it's not just text-based and it's not just like, give me a hundred words or here's a rubric. Sometimes it's like creating videos. Sometimes it's drawing something on a piece of paper, taking a picture of it and putting it in a classroom, which I then find all kinds of cool things uh, from students. And so, you know, and I use them different ways. Sometimes they're blogs. I, I make discussion boards where it's just one, where they're reflecting individually and, and sharing it with me and I'm giving feedback. So discuss, you can set up discussion forums lots of different ways, but that's just one way, one place to have this happen. Yeah, and and I think, you know, right. There's lots of entry points into this, in into thinking about, and and I think it's it's good. I think that's helpful for you to like give concrete, ex, you know, examples of how to think about this. So I think the the thing, you know, again, the thing that's so hard, and this is true in a physical class or in an online class, is how do you really center students' ideas? So how do you really take ideas that are generated by students and use those as the the meat of what the class is about and and so i think in these online environments it's it it is a challenge to think about that i think you have to think about things like well first of all the 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 structure of the task right like if the structure of the task is go read this thing and respond to it and then other people are going to respond to your responses like that's a pretty narrow um it's a pretty narrow inauthentic access point, right? Like it's not really going to engage. There's no bigger problem that you're trying to solve. Like, what are you trying to accomplish with that task that, that makes you read this thing and then talk about it. So if there, if the reason that you're doing it is because you have to read the thing because you're told and you have to read it because you're going to get a grade, well, those things can motivate some kids, but it's not going to do the core work of like, well, I'm actually doing something here that matters. And so thinking about how do you structure it in a way that is doing a thing that matters. And in science classrooms, we, you know, we think about that as explaining phenomenon. Like that's the motivating thing is at the end of this, I'll be able to explain something that I couldn't explain before. And while people say like, well, why would kids be engaged in that? That humans like that. Right. And so, so it's fundamentally how we're wired to want to explain things. So it's not that hard, uh, I mean, it's very hard, but, but, but I was going to push back on that. I was like, Oh, come on. It's it's very hard to do, but conceptually it's not hard in the sense that, you know, it shifts the, all sorts of things. It shifts classroom management. It shifts um, how you think about, uh, you know, the way you talk with kids. 
Um, if, if what you say is I'm trying to create an environment where kids are doing something that matters to them, not that matters to me, right. that matters for their grade, but it matters to them. So that big structure of how do you think about that? And again, in science, the way that we try to do that or the way that we're, we're working towards doing it is having a motivating phenomenon with a question around it that that hopefully kids are, I mean, it's never perfect. Not all kids are going to be that interested in it, but eventually they get interested just in the process. As long as part of that process, it's clear that their ideas are important. If it's yeah. all just about like, we're trying to get to the right answers, then they'll sniff that out because kids are smart, just like and we they can are. Google right? it. They can Google yeah. it. And so if they know, like, this is all just a show, you're just putting this on. And in the end, I'm going to have to know like F equals MA, or here's the definition of inertia, then fine. I'm not going to play your game. I'm just going to sit back and, and, and do my own thing. But if you, but creating that environment is, is really what matters. And yeah, so that, that's the, the big challenge. I mean, for me, it comes back to, you know, that, that, the explanation quotient thing that I, I try to always think about, which is like, who's doing the explaining. And if yeah. you're doing a lot of the explaining and in an online environment, that means, are you posting the readings? Are you posting the driving questions around those readings? Are you are, like, is there, where is the student input coming in? Where are they talking except just about the things that you're assigning them to talk about? And if that's all they're doing, then you're probably not uh, engaged in authentic activity. They're probably just going through the motions so they can get a grade. So I'm I'm thinking back to when we developed these um, in you know the the napkin um, that we wrote all this stuff on. We we originally threw out a different descriptor. We threw out movable, mm-hmm. and we switched it to changeable. And I'm trying to remember why. I'm trying to remember what was the conversation that got because we definitely had that conversation because yeah. movable was down, and then we said we crossed it out for some reason, and then you know. Well, I'm wondering if it's, um, well, I'm guessing, but movable, if I'm just thinking about it, movable feels like it has to have an agent who is doing the moving. And that probably means the teacher, whereas changeable um, feels like it, it has at least the potential to be something that is a natural part of the learning environment, right? So changeable means that, um, that it doesn't always have to be um, one thing. Um, and maybe that's part of it too, is movable sounds like, well, you know, for class A, I'm going to move, move it over here. And for class B, it's going to be over there as opposed to dynamically being able to respond to what's going on in class, the activity you're engaged in and letting the environment change. Right. And the environment, meaning both the physical or the online environment and also the, the discourse environment, the talk, like, how do you, how do you make it responsive? So maybe that's, that's why changeable exists as a, as the word instead of movable. Yeah. I'm not like saying that we selected the wrong word. I'm just trying to replay the, I I like, I I like changeable. I also like that. I like the dynamic idea too. I think that's, that's a critical part of it too, is that it's, it's a, a dynamic process. It's, it's, uh, constantly evolving and changing and and i like that um because it should be something that's you know based on the because everything we're talking about talking about is around 
discourse and community, right? Around discourse and community. And that means that we have got to listen as much as we talk and then foster conversations in small groups and then, you know, hear from those. And so while that may mean that furniture is movable or that, you know, there's flexible seating and that we have visible sight lines, that stuff should all be in support of, of the community about the, uh, around learning. Yeah. And yeah. I, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why that, um, yeah, I think dynamic is important. I think dynamic is related to responsive. I mean, maybe ultimately that, that that's where it lies is in this idea that the physical or online learning environment should be responsive to the needs of the community. Right. I yeah. mean, it should, it should be, it should allow, um, for the support of all different kinds of learning. Like, you know, like you said, sometimes the teacher has to stand at the front of the class and talk about something because it's important and, and the community needs it at that time. Um, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be the case that that's a, a, a major task to undertake. Like, okay, everybody stop. Let's rearrange all the desks yeah. facing forward. Now, you know, Scott's going to lecture for 10 minutes and then we'll, okay. So you're spending like half your time rearranging the desks. Um, but, you know, this idea of like, how do you think about that in a dynamic way um, and a responsive way, I think is, is what we're talking about when we talk about a changeable center. Yeah. So I, th- I, th- I think, I think we've unpacked that pretty well. Uh, yeah. 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 Anything yeah. else, anything else to add with that before we before move into we, joys? No, I think that's good. I think, uh, you know, like you said at the top, uh, this is, you know, these things are tightly integrated. So, so it sounds like we're talking about different things uh, or maybe it doesn't, maybe it sounds like we're talking about the same thing, but we are talking about this sort of tension between different dimensions or attributes of, of learning spaces um, that can be thought about through these design principles, but ultimately going back to this idea of, you know, like you said, discourse and community, what, what are the activities that we're trying to support and how do we design a, a space to support those activities? Yeah. I was, when, when I think about things like this, that are like really amalgamous and really hard to, to capture, I always think back to your, your elephant story, right? This is the, you know, that, and this is, and I realized recently that this is, it's not your elephant story. It's actually yeah. an elephant story that is, I think it, it comes from like, like maybe India or something. I it's, don't know. Yeah, I think it's Buddhist originally, Bo- maybe, right. but I could be wrong. It's, it's definitely from, from Asia, some part of Asia, right? I don't, like, I don't think we've talked about this before. Have we? I, like, I don't know, but this is a, yeah, this is a classic, but yeah. it's, a, I think it's the appropriate time to talk about it because we, it sounds like it might sound like we're, we're parsing this out in, in lots of different ways that we're talking about the same st- stuff, but it's, it's like, we're talking about the elephant, you know, that mm. the, the elephant, you know, if in, and I guess it always talks about like the story is whether you, you blindfold five people or the people are, are visually impaired or, or, or whatever, but the, we have, you know, different people, you know, trying to describe an elephant and they're, you know, standing around an elephant and they're unable to actually see the elephant. So they're just kind of holding on. And, and so one person would describe the elephant, you know, maybe holding onto the tail is like, oh, it's like a snake, you know, and then another person's holding onto like, uh, you know, maybe one of the feet as saying, oh, it's like a trunk of a tree. And then somebody else who's like, you know, oh, it's like a big, you know, rock because they're holding on to the side of it or maybe somebody who's holding on to you know the 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 trunk 
would describe it as one way. Mm -hmm. And so depending on where you're positioned, you have these different perspectives of it. And that's kind of like the same approach that we're trying to take with learning spaces, right? Is we're trying to take these multiple perspectives with learning spaces to try to better describe the types of things that are happening in the space and how the space affords that. And, and that's ultimately the goal with these design principles. Yep. No, I think that's right. Did I do a good job there? Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's your, the, I heard it first from you. So, yeah. uh, so, so I'm just basically, yeah. you know, I, did yeah. I pass the test? Recapitulating the story. I don't know. I give you like a solid B plus. Oh, know. wow. That's probably the best grade you ever gave me. So I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I will take it. Oh, yeah. thank God that, we got that to right grade there. something. Yeah. But, that's my, that's my joy right there for the week. Yeah. B plus for Scott. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Right. Um, yeah, well, uh, so I, I, uh, is it my turn to go first? I can't remember. Uh, I don't know. I keep track. I, I can't keep track. So it's, you can't it's keep track. Okay. No. Um, so so I'm gonna do the wayback machine. I don't know how I got um, this. I was reminded of this, but um, but I mean, we've talked. One of the things that we're we are nerds about is comic books, and um, so I went down. I I had this tingle in my brain to to go look for this um comic book that i read when i was younger and and loved and uh and haven't looked at in a long 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 time um but i just was you know in the mood so so there was uh, a comic book called mr miracle um and it's probably because there's a bunch of stuff now in that I was hearing about the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League. And there's all this talk about the DC universe. And I was never really a DC person. But in the old days, back in the day when I was a real young kid, I was. So, I, you know, like action comics with Superman and um, stuff like that. And so Mr. Miracle was um, one of these like new gods, eternals, whatever that that. Um, from that era from like the seventies and it was all Jack Kirby. So it's yeah. just like this amazing art and he wrote it and, and it's, you know, it's, it's very much of it, of Jack Kirby, that, which is like way over the top. Like, yeah. Um, but lots of, lots of reading, lots of reading, lots of reading, yeah. but it's, uh, but it's just, you know, it's, it's awesome. So I just pulled out, I don't have like a complete set. I'm not, I just had what I had from when I was a kid. And some of it's still in plastic bags from when I bought it at the comic store where, you know, it says 50 cents on the outside and nice. the cover price was, you know, 30 cents or 25 cents or something. And, um, but yeah, I just, you know, in the nostalgic sense, like if you have things laying around like that, that you love when you were a kid, it's sometimes nice to pull them out and just look at them. And, you know, these, none of these are, these are not like, I'm going to sell them on the internet for a bunch of money. They're like in pristine condition. Like these were, these were owned by a kid who was not collecting comics in the sense of like trying to put them all in laminate and make them, uh, never, never be touched by human hands. So, um, so anyway, so that's the thing this week that's that's bringing me some nostalgic joy, which is uh, Mr. Miracle. Mr. Miracle, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge uh, Jack Kirby fan from old. So like, there's a be? he's a king, yeah. man. Uh, all right, so here's here's my joy. Um, and this is I'm a gadget guy, so you know that. Mm-hmm. And I've mm-hmm. I, I'd say probably for about the last I don't know, like maybe 
you know, since like 2015, my, uh, I went to visit my doctor. My doctor was like, hey, you got to get on a health kick. And so I've tried to over the last five or six years, and you know this, um, you know, try to get it healthier. And this pandemic has been really hard, right? Because I, you know, was on the ha- that in the habit of going to the, the gym every morning and, you know, just at least trying to, you know, do something physical. And I haven't been to the gym since last March. And so I've been trying to slowly build some stuff at the house, like trying to adopt, you know, and I bought an elliptical last May, but it, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, to, to work out with an elliptical, but it wasn't really doing much in terms of like other things. So I bought a rowing machine, a rowing oh, did you know? I did. Well, I kept reading about how like these things are like, you know, low impact and like, but I, so I bought a rowing full machine. Full body exercise. Full body exercise. Right. And so it was one of these things that I bought this rowing machine and it is kicking my butt and it is awesome. Yeah. It is awesome. I mean, I couldn't like, I started out, I couldn't like do more like 10 minutes on this thing. And I was just like, and I'm just finding like, like, pains and different parts of my body that I didn't even know like hurt could hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was just like, yep. and which is really, I think part of the, the, the point is that, you know, as I'm, you know, on the North side of, of, of 50, I'm like going, okay, I need to still be physically active, but I have to be really thoughtful in terms of the things I do. And this Roy machine is awesome. It is awesome. It's hard. Yep. But if it's, but it's great. It's yep. yeah. So, and it's yep. also, it's also kind of like, um, so I listen to a while I'm, I'm listening to different podcasts and, uh, and it's kind of like, I, I find it's almost like Zen, like you get into this, like, like mm-hmm. this, this pattern and this, this rhythmic pattern, it is cool. And I'm, it's been a good purchase. And so, nice. yeah, that's my joy. Very good. Well, you, I'll let you f- put in the specific model. So if people yeah. want to steal the model from you, but sure, I will. Yeah. yeah. My, when my, my parents like downsized, uh, just recently, like in February and, and, uh, when they did, they had a rowing machine that, that I got. So we I now have a rowing machine in our basement. And, uh, so I need to, I need to get on it. I've been on it a couple of times, but considering we've had it since, I don't know, February or maybe before that January, I haven't, I have I have not made good use of it yet. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you do, you do other things, so it's not like you're like no, just well, sit, sitting around eating bonbons, you know. Well, I try, but um, but no, no, I'm not like I used to, man. Like I can't, I'm not riding my bike to campus because I don't go to campus anymore. Right. I, I, I I ride my chair in my office. That's what I do. Well, not forever. It's good, no. you know. We see we see it changing. So there's that. That's, That's awesome. It. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Well, hey, there we are. Episode thirty-seven in the bag. Yep. All right. See you next time. In between. See you then.